welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to ICU. This is episode 42, A Child's Grief. The review for this week is from Vinay K, and it's entitled A Godsend, and it's five stars. I loved this review. It says, I can honestly say that I stumbled upon this podcast at the perfect time in my life. I didn't know I would need it so much. I have been struggling with depression a bit and finding where I fit in the world. Julie has helped me recognize that it is in my hands to create my place by becoming vulnerable and connecting with others in meaningful ways. I've always cared about others and tried to serve, but I didn't realize that I wasn't truly connecting on a meaningful level. I'm now finding ways to remedy that. I'm also sharing with all of my friends and neighbors to share some of the goodness. Thank you for the review. I just want to say that I think word of mouth is so powerful. So I love that you said you're telling your friends and your family and that you talked about creating a space for yourself in the world. I think that's so powerful and so true. I had a really cool experience this week. There's a girl that I know that I met just a couple weeks ago here in my new neighborhood and we had invited her to dinner. And it was so neat because I saw her the other day and she was like, you're not going to believe what happened. And she talked about how her mother-in-law had sent her a link to a podcast and it happened to be the interview I did on on Tony Overbay's podcast and said, hey, you need to listen to this. And this girl, we don't know each other super well, and she didn't even know I did a podcast. And so she's like, me and my husband started listening, and we recognized the voice, and we were like, oh my gosh, it's this girl that we're going to dinner with on Sunday. And so she saw me, and she's like, what the heck? You do a podcast? And it was just neat, though, and it just reminded me that it really is so powerful, just word of mouth, because when you send something on because you personally believe in it or it's affected you, that's so much more powerful than me sharing on Facebook. Sending a personal episode that has personally touched you is huge, and I've really seen the positive effects of that with the podcast. So I thank you so much for doing that. If you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to icupodcast.com and click on support the podcast. There is a way to donate money to the website costs. Also, you can buy apparel, which is free shipping. Not only do we get some money from the apparel, but also wearing apparel is helpful. My sister this last week, she was wearing a hat at her son's sport event, I think. And she said the people around her were like, Hey, where'd you get that hat? What's that all about? And so she's like, I was telling all these people about your podcast. I don't know. I think it might be a little annoying for her, but I appreciate it. I was like, that's great. That's great. Spread the love. So I'm excited. Let's just transition over into talking to our guest today, Laura Sparrow. Welcome, Laura. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. You first reached out to me. How did you discover the podcast here? I think the first time I heard about your podcast was from when you were a guest on Tony Overbay's Virtual Couch mm-hmm. podcast. After I listened to that, I went to your podcast page and started looking at some of the episode notes and jumped in and started listening. I think I started from like the first episode and then just loved your message and felt like it was so relatable. And even though maybe your experience is a little bit different than other people's, that you had hit on a lot of things that I think that are pretty universal when it comes to 
struggle or grief or the challenges that come with life. I've done a podcast episode with Tony Overbay as well. There were some things after that episode that I thought, oh, next time I do this, I want to talk about these things. And so I reached out to you and thought that maybe this would be a good venue to talk about this. Yeah. I'm so excited to have you. It's something we haven't talked about before. And it's honestly something that I feel like I know so little about. I love this podcast for that, that we can just teach each other and learn. Laura, will you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? I live with my husband and my four kids in Austin, Texas. About a year and a half ago, we had a stillborn baby that was born when I was 35 weeks pregnant. After having four healthy pregnancies and not knowing anything was wrong with the last pregnancy or expecting anything was just a really stark awakening for me. And so since that time, I've been trying to think of ways that I can use the things that I've learned to reach out to other people. I feel like I see people differently than I did before Bodhi died. Listened to lots of podcasts and read lots of books and done research into it. I have a PhD in counselor education. Even though I had a background in psychology and had learned a bit about grief counseling and stuff like that, it definitely still was just shocking to me. I wasn't able to cope with it. I guess I just never expected it to happen to me. So it was all kind of theoretical. And then when it actually happened, it was hard to find resources and to feel like I knew what I was doing. And one thing that I've found that actually really helps with my journey is to talk to other people that maybe have gone through similar struggles. That helps me feel a lot more connected to them and connected to my baby versus me feeling isolated and alone. I'm singing your praises now with all of that because I 100% believe that and have found that in my own life with my own struggles. Will you tell us about your experience of losing your child? I was 35 weeks pregnant. So I have one boy that's 11 and then three girls that are nine, six, and she's four now. And we were expecting our fifth, had just actually moved to a new city, and we're kind of transitioning. We're in temporary housing while we tried to find a house and stuff. Healthy pregnancy, and one day I just felt like the baby wasn't moving as much. And then ended up talking to my husband, and I just said, I'm going to call and make sure that everything's okay. And so when I called, they said, well, you can come down to the hospital just to check and make sure that everything's fine. And then when I went into the hospital, they asked a bunch of questions and hooked me up to an ultrasound machine. And at that point, still, I, I just was thinking and being paranoid. And then they told me that there wasn't a heartbeat. And I was just completely dumbfounded, just kept thinking, when am I going to wake up? Why are they lying to me? Really, really disoriented. Gone to the hospital by myself and having to call my husband, try to tell him what was going on. The nurses ended up having to talk to him because I couldn't really talk. And then I just kept thinking like, I'm pretty sure once the doctor gets here, they're going to figure out what's going on and maybe I'll have to deliver early and the baby will be in NICU. I mean, definitely in denial about the whole thing. And then my doctor came in and talked to me and just said, you can either go home or or we can deliver tonight. It's, you know, kind of up to you. And so I went ahead and delivered him that night. It was so shocking to me that it was just like when I delivered all of my other babies at the end, you're just terrified of what's going to be the outcome. And so that was pretty traumatic that on top of the normal grief that you would feel when you lose somebody to also have to 
go through something like that medically. It was really, really traumatizing and hard. After he was born, we talked and decided what we wanted to do. Obviously, my kids were super excited about this new baby that was going to be born and trying to figure out how to tell them and what to tell them and whether or not we wanted them to come see the baby and hold him. My doctor, I was so thankful for her because I just kept telling her, like, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. Before my husband got there, she sat with me and I was like, what am I going to tell my kids? How are they ever going to recover? And she just kept telling me, we can do one thing at a time. I'm going to lead you through it, but you just need to focus on the next thing and then you'll know what to do. I just kept telling her, well, what if it was my fault? What if I did something? And she was like, it's not your fault. You didn't know. There's nothing that you could have done. And then she actually told me that she had lost a baby, kind of a similar experience. She said, I was across the street from the hospital. And she said, one day I just didn't feel the baby moving as much. And I went across the street just to check. And she said, and the, the baby had died. That was some divine intervention there because I needed somebody at that point to orient me and to tell me it's going to be okay. You're going to be able to make it through this and this isn't the end. And then once he was born, it was really, really sad. There was a lot of clarity as to what we needed to do. I felt really comfortable having my kids come up and we had talked to them. My husband had told them briefly before he came up to the hospital. One of our friends came and picked them up and they were going to spend the night. And so he explained to them a little bit about what happened. And then the next day when they came in to meet Bodhi and to come see me, we just told them they could hold the baby if they wanted to, but that they didn't have to and kind of tried to help them know what to expect. I think that was something I was really, really afraid of just because they were so young. I mean, death is such a hard thing for anybody to comprehend when you're really, really young. And when you're talking about a baby, like that was just born again, just so confusing because normally you think of it as more like a cycle of life. Right. I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing and that I don't scar them or scare them or expose them to something that is going to be traumatic. But they all came in and they were so excited to meet him. And I had a friend that came and took pictures for us. And I mean, it is really sad, but it was a much more peaceful experience than I would have ever known or thought that it could be to have them all there and have him with us and just know that he was part of our family. And I feel like that was definitely for us the right thing to do. And it wasn't even a decision that I felt like was hard to make in the moment. I just kind of knew. That's so neat. My brother had a stillborn baby, my brother and sister-in-law, Eric and Brianna. If listeners are familiar with the pornography addiction series, their third was a stillborn. And then my good friend Tashi, who was on episode 19, the one single, pregnant and worthy of love. And so as I've listened to their experiences, it's interesting to hear the similarities and that both of them, while so much trauma came with both of those experiences, they both say a very similar thing of that they felt so much peace at the time and they did have their children come and meet the baby and that there's a very peaceful elevated feeling in the room that's a neat pattern that you all share I feel like there's some truth there that's really profound how did the experience affect your children I think it affected them all a little bit differently and I think some of it had to do with age my youngest at the time was only two she was a lot more like questioning why can't we bring him home with us? And when's Bodhi going to move? And that kind of thing. 
my older kids were a little bit more subdued about the whole thing. They're not maybe as open about talking about him. My younger two almost talk about him in the present tense all the time. If people say, how many brothers and sisters do you have? Sometimes they'll say, I have a baby brother and he died, but he lives in heaven. They talk about it a lot. Where my older kids are a little bit more selective with who they talk about it to. I've been really, really grateful, especially for that clarity. And I actually think that's something that's pretty common when a really traumatic experience takes place or a loss that's really significant takes place that a lot of people say that they feel that sense of like everything else falls away that doesn't really matter. And then you kind of realize the things that are important. I mean, they feel like he's their brother just as much as any of their other siblings are. And they also have been really helpful for me to have some sense of I have to get it together because I need to be able to mother them and to take care of them still. And so I think that was something I was really scared about is I just thought I'm not going to be able to be there for them because I just feel so lost in this grief and I don't know how to process this. I'm helping them process their grief and walk through that. And at the same time, trying to figure out how I feel and what to do for myself and my husband. And I feel like kids have such a sweet innocence about them that for them, a lot of the things that were really hard for me to understand or to accept, they were just really upfront about. They'd come home from school and they'd be like, mom, why are you crying? It's okay. We're going to see him again, you know? When they talk about the resurrection, that's like a a very tangible thing to them. A lot of the religious teachings that we have in um, the church that we go to are very tangible to them, I think, because of this experience. And they don't struggle with it as much as I did because they just have this innocent faith. That's amazing. You tried to help your kids work through that grief. Were there people that made that easier, helping your kids? One of the things that helped them was probably the people who supported me and kind of indirectly helped me to be able to continue to function as their mom and to be there and support them. So I had a friend that was actually a labor and delivery nurse. We hadn't lived where we had moved for very long. And so I didn't know her very well, but I knew she was a labor and delivery nurse. And I texted her in the hospital and just told her what was happening and said, I'm really overwhelmed and I just need somebody to come and help me. I don't want to forget anything because you just don't have very much time with the baby. And so she came up and helped me with that. And then just was so nice about texting me and bringing me food and checking on me all the time. And so she babysat my youngest for me so that I could go to therapy every week. And my youngest daughter just loved her and was so excited. That was like her favorite thing to do was go over to her house and play with her animals. I don't think that she realized how big of a deal that was for me and for my daughter because I needed, I needed help. And so I think that was really important. My kids' teachers were really, really supportive. We let the school know and talked to the school counselor before they went back to school. The teachers were so sweet. They put together a gift basket and they had like their favorite things in it and gift cards and stuff. And I know that that was really meaningful to my kids. 
And then I think that their friends, it's so much easier for them to talk openly about things than sometimes they are as adults. My daughter that was in second grade, she talked to her friend and was like, my baby brother died and told him what happened. She said that her friends were like, that's really sad and just very open about it. Didn't act like that's weird or you shouldn't talk to me about this or anything like that. Where sometimes I think when we are adults and someone opens up to us and is vulnerable with us, we kind of feel like, oh, I have no idea what to say allowing them to talk about it. The kids' teachers watched out if they seemed sad or whatever, that they would talk to them. And then the school counselor did things with them where she would do like an activity where they painted a picture together or they did a few things, my three older kids that were in school. And so I think all of that was really helpful. Kids get it right so often, so much more than us as adults. We really do have so much to learn from kids just that experience with your little girl saying how her friends just listened to her and said sorry. Because that's all we need to do as adults, right? We just need to listen to each other and, and say sorry. We don't need to try and fix it or have this perfect speech laid out. I think you're right. We're so scared of being uncomfortable that sometimes we avoid, which is so damaging because we need each other so badly. As you've tried to help your kids navigate this path with losing their brother, how have your experiences given you empathy for other people in the same situation? I knew what it felt like to have a worst day of your life, to be completely so overwhelmed with sadness or grief that you couldn't really focus on anything else and that it was hard to even hear what people were saying to you. It's helped me relate to other people and maybe be a little bit less judgmental, easier for me to say, you know what, I really have no idea what is going on in their life because some people knew what was going on in my life, but it, Definitely a lot of people didn't. And one time we went into Target a few weeks after my baby was born. So it was me with my kids by myself. We were trying to kind of get back into a routine. And the cashier sees me with my four kids. And she says, oh, so you have four kids. My youngest starts saying, well, we have a baby brother, but he died. And the Target cashier is looking at me like, horrified, just like, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. And I'm crying, telling her, it's okay, you didn't know. And, and my older kids are like, stop talking about it to my youngest, because I had told them, if you want to talk about it, you can talk about it. If you don't, you don't have to. When they went back to school, I said, if you want to tell people, if you want to tell some of your friends what happened, you're welcome to, but don't feel like you have to. And I think that I hadn't really realized that people innocently say things all the time, like everybody at school at recess was like, where were you all week? My second grader came home and she was like, mom, I tried to explain to them about umbilical cords because his umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck really tightly. That's why he ended up passing away. And she was like, I tried to explain it to him, but nobody knew what an umbilical cord was. And it was just frustrating. So I just told them I didn't want to talk about it anymore. That was really hard for me to think that they were having to have those conversations at such a young age and try to figure out what to say. But it also showed me that we needed to talk about things as a family and be sure that they felt comfortable with their decision and not just say, well, if you want to talk about it, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. That wasn't really realistic for them, especially because little kids are just so concrete that my two-year-old, she just said, there's five kids, we have a baby too, and it's allowed us to be more open as a family and talk about him and keep him as part of our family. That empathy that I have has opened me up. I had a friend whose husband passed away recently. As heartbroken as I was for her, I knew that it wasn't just the trauma of losing her husband, but now she had to figure out how to navigate this path with her girls. Understanding the weight of that 
to some small extent, which I think is still different because it was their dad, not one of their siblings, but it's a really daunting task. And that's why I think that the more that we talk about things like this, then the more that people are able to connect and not feel like it's a taboo subject that nobody wants to talk about, the more I think that will help people who maybe are struggling. Today, I was at the library with my kids and I was in line and the girl behind me had just this cute little girl with her in this mermaid outfit. And so I was asking her, I said, how old's your little girl? And she had a little boy with her too. And she was telling about our kids, we have two and then we have one that passed away. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. When did they pass away? And she said two and a half years ago. And she said it was a stillborn. The tears are immediately there. I haven't had a stillborn. I've never had that. I've had different challenges, but how you talked about empathy, when you've had the worst day of your life, which I have also had, which I'm sure looks different than yours. But when you've been through that kind of suffering, you just feel for people differently. You see them differently. I said, I'm sorry. I have people close to me that have dealt with it. And I know that it is like nothing else. It was just this really neat moment though, where we connected and I was so grateful. I don't think she had to say we lost a baby. I think that's an individual choice. And I don't think you need to feel like you always need to necessarily. But I think it's neat if someone's comfortable and would like to, that we can talk about these things to strangers in a library. We can talk about these children like they're still there because they are. It sounds like we have probably a similar belief system on that. You talk to your kids about him still being in heaven. And I just think that's so powerful. The weeks after Bodie was born... My husband and I would just sit on the couch and we didn't want to watch TV and we didn't want to listen to anything. And we would stare at each other like, what do we do? Ask him like, well, I don't know what to do. If somebody says, how many kids do you have? How do I answer that? What do I do? I need the answer. I need to know what to say because I don't want to burst out in tears every single time somebody asks me or makes somebody feel uncomfortable. I mean, I feel like he's just as much part of our family as our other kids. I hate that thought of not including him. In my journey, I just feel like there's not a perfect answer. You were able to listen to that and to feel empathy for that and not just immediately shut down and be like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I messed up and now I feel awful, right? Like, I think a lot of times that's what people jump into is, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I said anything. Or they think like, why well, made you think of something you didn't want to think about? And you're not reminding a parent that their baby died. There's not a moment that they ever forget that. And sometimes even though they might cry or it might be hard or awkward for, for them to say something, it's still an opportunity for them to connect with that child and to pay honor to that child by talking about them and including them in their family. I loved your response. I'm just so sorry and thank you for telling me about them and asking what was their name or when were they born or something like that. Because a lot of times there's not opportunities to do that on a regular basis. And that can be harder than talking about him is than not talking about him or feeling like everybody else wants you to be done with it already. My sister-in-law said that same thing word for word. She talks about how her biggest fear is that her daughter will be forgotten, that that is her biggest fear. Today, as I was talking to that girl, luckily that does come pretty natural to me. I feel comfortable asking questions, but I used to think that that was a weakness I had for those reasons, because I would hear other people say things like, oh, I shouldn't ask, or sometimes I worry I'm a little too bold. And I'm sure there's times where I am. However, I feel like when we say things like, oh, I shouldn't have asked, I feel so dumb, or oh, you probably don't want to talk about all this stuff. It's almost like we're making it about us instead of the child, because we're looking for reassurance because we're feeling insecure. Yeah. I'm not here to shame us for that. I've done it. But I think if you can truly make it about the other person and have some reverence for the experiences they've had that have gotten them here, that they have survived and lived, it's a powerful moment. 
that was really special today. And it wasn't until now that I'm like, that probably is not a coincidence that that happened to me today. You studied counseling and you still went to a therapist yourself, which I think is so neat and so important because really to see your kids through this, you have to take care of yourself. I don't know, but I would think it's one thing to understand the textbook definitions like you talked about in the beginning. And then it's another when it's your real life happening to you and you have four little kids that you're trying to put back the pieces. I went to some group counseling and then I've also done some individual counseling. My kids have done some stuff where they've done check-ins and stuff with the school counselor. And then I've talked to the school counselor to see how do you think that they're coping? Do you think that we need more counseling or family counseling? Because again, I want to make sure that I wasn't so caught up in myself and my own grief that I wasn't seeing a big hole. That's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice that I would have for parents that are helping their kids with grief is the more okay that you are. And I know okay is a relative term when you're talking about a really big loss, but the more that you're able to process your own grief, I think the better off your kids are going to be because you're giving them that sense of stability that is really, really important in their lives. The groups that I went to, there was a lady that was there and she was probably in her mid 60s, after I shared a little bit about my story, told me that she had lost a sister when she was four years old. And she said one day her sister was sick and one day she had come home from school and her sister was gone and her sister had died. It was a baby sister and the parents never talked to her about it. There was never a funeral that she went to, nothing. Her sister was just gone and she talked about how disorienting that was and how scary that was for her to feel like she couldn't ask any questions and she didn't know what happened to her sister. And I think that sometimes we want to protect our kids from these really big, really hard feelings. And doing that, I think sometimes can actually be a little bit harder for them because the emotions are going to be there and they need to be able to talk about those and release those in a way that doesn't make them feel like they're doing something wrong or making you as a parent feel worse. I know for me, when I was younger, the things that were the scariest or the hardest or the most confusing that followed me as an adult were experiences where I was confused as a kid and didn't know what was going on. I think that is totally true that the more we can talk to our kids and let them talk about things and process things, I think the better off they'll be. What are some ways to see a child with compassion and connecting with a child that is dealing with grief? It's really important to try to get some kind of sense of developmentally how to talk about, especially if it's death specifically, in words that they can understand without overwhelming them. I think that most people would want to avoid talking about death. I mean, I think that's what we all do, right? We don't want to think about it, especially as it relates to a child. I totally get that. But when a family member or someone that's really close to the child dies, it can be really, really confusing. Two-year-old just kept asking, when's Bodhi going to come home? When do we get to bring him home? Even after we had had the funeral, she was really confused about like, well, where's my baby? So we had to talk to her about that he died and that he wasn't going to come home. I think that sometimes when we say things like the baby passed away, especially a really young child, they don't know what that means. 
they don't understand what that means. And so I think that I've gotten lots of books from the library and researched quite a bit about my kids' different ages and ways to talk to them about death. So we've read books that are pretty explicit about explaining that when someone dies, one of them was comparing it to like having the batteries taken out, but the batteries can't be replaced. That person's body isn't working anymore. Some of them were religious and some of them were not. Bringing in your religious beliefs is fine and really helpful, but I think that you still need to understand that from their point of view, talking about things like we lost a baby or the baby passed away, in their minds, they might be thinking like the baby is actually lost and we need to look for the baby. I was really glad the kids were able to meet Bodhi and hold him and we have pictures with him. And then before he was buried, we went to the casket and the kids were able to put in some little toys and stuff that they had. That was really, really special. And that was really hard to do for our whole family, but I feel like it helped them understand and get some closure. We included them in the funeral, but we allowed them to say, this is what I want to do or don't want to do. So my girls sang a song and my son read a little talk that he'd given and we saved that for them to have. And then we did a balloon release because we wanted it again to be something that maybe they could relate to or remember versus just everybody was sad and crying and I didn't know why. After the funeral and after the initial shock wore off, I had a kindergartner at the time and she drew, it was like a picture of our family and Bodhi was always in the pictures. And those are some of my favorite things that I still have. I kept those and I would talk to her about them, have her show me and talk to me about it, letting them explain how they were feeling in whatever modality that might look like. So maybe for some it was talking, for another one was reading a story or taking a nap with them. I feel like it really helped grief. There's not an end point where you finish or you're done. It does change. The thing that's helped me in the times when it's been really, really heavy and hard has been to connect with my kids or other people or myself, to really focus in on how am I feeling, how am I processing this, or helping my kids process, or helping, like I've talked to a few other women that since have lost babies, so I think that that connection piece is really important, and I think that that's what we want to encourage with our kids, is to realize that they'll feel a lot more secure if they feel like they can talk to their parents. For a while, I was crying so much that I think my kids felt nervous about talking to me. And so they talked to my husband a little bit more and said like, hey, I'm worried about mom and stuff. And so we were able to kind of navigate that foster open communication within our family. There's not a perfect way to do it, I don't think. But to me, the answer is definitely being more open is much better than everyone isolating and trying to figure it out by themselves. If there's someone listening that is feeling discouraged because their child is in the midst of grief, what would be your message to them? The first thing I would say is it's going to be really difficult for you to help your child cope if you're not processing your own grief. Taking care of yourself is taking care of your child. You're not being selfish. If you need to go to therapy, if you need to get time by yourself or exercise or do any of those things, 
I think that that is doing a service to your whole family. It's so important to try to take care of yourself, realizing that kids do have really big emotions, but that sometimes they don't process things exactly the same way that adults do. While it may be scary for you to see your child crying or really, really emotional, a lot of times kids are really concrete and so they're really sad. And then two minutes later, they're playing on the playground and they're not thinking about it. And that's perfectly normal. But it's also perfectly normal for them to get really sad. My kids would get really sad at night. And that's not something that you need to panic about. It's just something you need to be aware of and to try to talk to them about it and to make sure that they know that you see that they're sad. I think that that to me is just so helpful when I've been able to talk to people that have said, I don't understand exactly how you feel, but I know this hurts and I'm so sorry. It's just so impactful to me and helpful to me to feel like someone cares and that they see me and they're not annoyed that I'm still sad or thinking, well, you're being really dramatic or you should be doing things differently. And I think that that's the message that we want to send to our kids is that how you feel is perfectly acceptable and it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to not talk about it, but you don't have to do it by yourself. If my kids felt isolated in their grief, that would be really hard for me. And I asked them today, actually, I said, so what are some things that have helped you since Bodhi died? And they all mentioned having traditions where they felt connected to him. So at Easter, we all make a little Easter basket. He's buried on my parents' land. And so we send a little package to my mom. We have like little notes that we put in the Easter eggs. And at Christmas, we have ornaments that we make and we celebrate his birthday. We do a lot of things like that to incorporate him into our family traditions. We have a special book that we read, especially if they're sad at night or crying at night. They all said that was helpful. Or we have some little bears that we made actually when I was pregnant with Bodhi and we had one extra that we made for him. And I was so thankful that we had that, just those little connections to remind us of him. It's okay that they're sad and that they're going to be sad. Going through hard things and dealing with grief, there's a lot of things that come out of that that are strengths for your child that they wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. I think that trying to encourage resilience and encourage them to really tap into their emotions. My kids are more empathetic than they were before. Sometimes it can feel really hard for people to say everything happens for a reason. And the reason that this happened to you was because you needed to be more empathetic, learn how to serve others or something. And that seems kind of disqualifying. I would have said no to that. And I don't think that that's the case, but I do think that there is good that can come from these experiences, that it's important that we take those opportunities to connect more deeply to other people and look for opportunities to connect with our children and for our children to learn those lessons because they get it on a much more basic level than I do, but also it's so much more pure than the way that my convoluted mind is thinking, well, this isn't fair. And why did this happen to me? Kids, it hasn't been like that. It's just been a lot more like, we're so lucky we have this sweet brother that we're going to see again. Just the simple truth. It's not clouded. It's so simple and pure. They don't want to forget him either. Thank you. That is such a hopeful way to end the interview. The things that your kids are learning and just the beautiful people they're becoming. You must be very proud. I am. 
when we moved, one of my daughter's friends, they had a play date and her mom told me after she said, oh, I didn't realize that you lost a baby. Bryn told us today that you had lost a baby. And she said, after Bryn told her, her daughter was like, oh, my mom lost a baby too because she'd had a miscarriage not that long before. And she said, I was just out there listening to them talk. And she said, I'm not very open about that at all. But she said, it was just so sweet to realize that they got it on, again, just such an innocent, pure level. And it makes me so happy that my kids have that faith. I feel like in a lot of ways, they've saved me because they've given me a sense of purpose. I know that they need me too. I think that that's been a really, really sweet blessing that's come from this is that I've been able to see them be so kind to me and to other people and that they love their brother so much and that they want him to be included. Laura, thank you so much for being here and sharing your beautiful experience. Next week, I'm going to be interviewing the founder of the company, Sturry. Sturry is a company that is dedicated to sharing the good through inspiring video stories. I'm going to be traveling up north to interview its founder. His name is Dan Davis in just a couple days about the lessons he learned through job loss and then starting his own company and how compassion and connection played a role in that experience. I just listened to an interview of his and I knew that we needed him on the podcast. I think he's going to be a fabulous guest. He has so much good stuff to share and his experience is so in line with the things that I believe. My name is Julie Lee and I see you 